Welcome to Playback, a Variety podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. On today's show, we take reader questions at the end of the year. A little bit later, I'll be talking to Hidden Figures star Kevin Costner. So stick around. We're back for our last episode of the year. Oh my gosh, is it really? It's that's it. This is this is it. Wow. So it was nice knowing everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Trump's America. We've thrown it out to reader questions for this uh, last little. Because we have literally run out of run ideas. Out of stuff to say, people. Yeah. So put it in. Put the words in our mouth. Let's just dive into it. Um, Marshall Schaefer, any predictions for how the guilds will change the narrative like they did with American Sniper, Dragon Tattoo, etc.? Well, arguably, they didn't tra- change the narrative with Dragon Tattoo because those nominations didn't really turn out to be Best Director or Best Picture nominations no. from the Academy. But I see what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, guilds. I think the person, the person, sorry, the film that will probably benefit the most is Hidden Figures. I think it yeah, gets I mean, in on PGA. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a PGA nominee. I think People so will start yeah. to take it seriously with that. I mean, I think... Look, I know there's plenty of people that think Arrival is in the thick of it. Uh, I, I could totally see it get PGA and DGA nominations, but you know, DGA uh, really. I, I, mean, I, I could see that, that because he's come around that. late in the game, and they yeah. have this big Christopher Nolan thing with him, and they're they're really pushing it. I think it could happen, but I still get. Wait, what's the Christopher Nolan thing? Like they, he did a Q and A. He did a Q and A with him at uh, Cine Family. That's very big of him. Like yeah. I would be like, hey man, you're encroaching on my territory. Yeah, right? I'm the dweeby, smart, <laughs> sci-fi, emotional. It's like a little passing of the baton, if yeah. you will. Um, but and and we got this Blade Runner trailer that hit last yeah, week. Yeah, Denis so. is hot right now. And I and I love him. I think he's an amazing. And filmmaker. look, I think he was overlooked last year for Sicario. All of but that said, all I keep Sicario getting this overlooked. vibe. And look, maybe I'm wrong. I keep getting this vibe around Arrival. I'm getting this Nightcrawler vibe. I'm getting this oh, Ex Machina vibe. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, PGA nominee. I Granted, those two movies didn't get DGA nominations. But it just maybe falls off at the end of the day. And I've, I've been feeling the same way about Amy. We'll see. I'm you, happy to be wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm being definitive here. I'm just kind of going with my gut. I've know? always so. thought Amy was in on, in on this race. And mm-hmm. I've had people telling me I'm wrong this whole time um, because it is such a competitive category. Mm-hmm. The person that I've never bought is has a secure cure spot is Meryl Streep and Ruth Nega. Not because they don't deserve it. They're mm-hmm. both fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, you know, Meryl really doesn't do press. She doesn't need it. Mm-hmm. Of course she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. We've all come to expect that. Um, and I don't know, like, how how is Loving doing? Mm. Yeah, well, Not that that matters. I mean, Academy voters could I, still see it. I think the it. thing is, too, like, We've got 600, 700 new Academy members this That's year. That's true. That's the biggest leap we've ever yeah, had at we one don't time. Know. We so can no knows? longer say, well, the Academy. Yeah, takes. yeah. I mean, well, you can never really say yeah. that. Like, you're basically saying, oh, the, the 100 people I talk to. 100, <laughs> you're this. being generous, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's like one guy, you know, yapping my ear <laughs> off at a screening who's like really pulling for Miles Teller. My makeup branch, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Those makeup people are serious, man. Like, I almost think, you know how they, like, narrow it down mm-hmm. and you have to give a presentation? Mm-hmm. I almost feel like that's the way we should do Best Picture. Like, everybody oh, yeah. has to get Great. up and over the months we narrow it down <laughs> like to our top five. Yeah. <laughs> Colin Llewellyn, which film didn't get enough recognition in 2016 and which is your most anticipated going into 2017? I haven't looked ahead much yet. There's the James Ponsult movie. Well, With PTA has a new movie, so I'm always there for PTA's new movies. What's that one? I forgot. <laughs> I 
somebody help me out on that. But look, I literally don't look ahead to the new year until it's the new year. Yeah, I mean that's true. I I've mentioned been... Blade Runner. I think Blade Runner looks kind of awesome. I mean, I wasn't oh, a huge. Yeah. I'm not a huge Blade Runner fan, by the way, which I'm is pretty probably huge weird. fan, and I'm very excited about this new one. I mean, Roger Deakins is like looks like he's crushing it. You know, uh, the Circle is the name of the James Ponsel. Oh. I just I think he's a fantastic filmmaker. He's great, yeah. um, also, the Glass Castle with Brie mm-hmm. Larson, mm-hmm. and I'm throwing it out there now: Best Supporting Actor contender Woody Harrelson playing her crazy dad. Oh wow! And he's yeah. got Wilson earlier in the year, so he might have quite a narrative building oh, up. Oh, he did Wilson. I read that script years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, he, it's going to be like a Sundance early spring yeah. movie, though. He's a great actor. So he was so good in Edge of Seventeen. Hey, wait! There's a movie that should have gotten more recognition: Edge of Seventeen. Well, nice segue. Yeah, because yeah, it didn't, didn't make any money, and uh, you've been talking about it. I still haven't. Seen you still haven't seen it? it? No, oh, no. see, I don't want to oversell it because then we have a shallow situation. Right. Where a movie is okay, but everybody is so surprised it's okay. Right. right. That no. Um, yeah. No. Edge For of Seventeen me, was great. It was on my top five list. I guess I would probably say Green Room. Yeah. I mean, I think that... I thought that did well, I mean, but, it did well, but, like, you know, it in its frame, mm-hmm. and then it, people forgot it and moved on to the other movies, and I think it it stuck around as one of the best movies of the year and should have been maybe singled out for that. If I had longer to think about this, maybe I'd come up with something else. How did Florence Foster Jenkins do at the box office? Because I also really loved that movie. I and, think it did well in August, and then yeah. they re-released it, so yeah. I don't know how much the re-release did, but... I thought that, that that had a really good shot at a SAG Ensemble nom. You know, and mm-hmm. the Golden Globes kind of brought it back. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's a big crowd pleaser. There's a couple movies, like, that are such late releases. I don't know if they're underappreciated yet. We both mm-hmm. really like Patriot's yeah. Day. Yeah. You know, I'd like to see how that does when it goes wide in January. Mm-hmm. Um, still remains to be seen how Hidden Figures will do. But I think Independence Day Resurgence could oh, have been. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it only made $300 million. It's a huge flop. Did you see Certain Women? I did not. Well, nevertheless, Rogue Observer would like to know what the outlook is on that for award season. Why has its buzz sort of faded away? I mean, I don't know that it had, like, hot buzz. Yeah. Some critics gave it up for Lily Gladstone. I mean, if anything, that's that's a critics movie, and yeah. that's where it's going to thrive. And, you know, sometimes they move on to other shiny objects. Well, and also it's just such a crazy race this year for actress and supporting actress. You know, it's it's hard to get in there. This person wants to know if we will all live to t- see 2018. No idea. We'll see. Give, I'll get back to you on the 20th. This person wants to know how I can dislike Swiss Army Man so much. You Do you dislike Swiss Army Man? I couldn't stand it. Oh, this is interesting because I thought I would hate it, and I was really, really surprised by the fact that I liked it. Yeah, I mean, again, getting back to what we said last week about movies that people just dogpile on, I'm not, like, interested in tearing it apart, but, like, I appreciate that people love the movie and found heart in it. I just it it was it was the whole thing was a stunt to me. It didn't translate emotionally at all. And it's, hey, that's where I fell. I, I commend a twenty four for picking a movie like mm-hmm. that up. I think they're you know I do this thing every year the the superlatives like best countless. I things. think you mean superlatives. Superlatives, <laughs> and and I do. Uh, like entertainer of the year and yeah. I think A24 is the entertainer of the year just because of their interesting wide swath of, yeah, of content absolutely. between that The Lobster obviously Moonlight uh, help me out what else Green Room uh, didn't they do a documentary uh, 20th Century Women they did 20th Century Women they did Amy last year but yeah I mean they're just I love their portfolio of stuff they've picked up and, yeah um, Morse from America great Morse from America shout out them. to my boy Chad Hardigan we went to film school <laughs> together uh, David would like to know. Uh, wait, he says. He says no questions. Just happy you're doing an awesome show. Aww, thanks, David. We thanks. needed that. We really did at the end of this year. Uh, any shocks? No Golden Globes results like last year brewing. But okay, let me 
make this an actual sentence. <laughs> Any shots? Chris wins another fan. No Golden Globes results like last year brewing based on what you are hearing. Okay. Golden Globes shockers yeah. on the horizon. Um, I mean, the, the the conventional thinking is that Moonlight will take drama yeah. and La La. Uh, La Land will take musical. What if they surprise us and Moonlight doesn't take drama? I think they're both set, actually, um, because I think they're... I know La La Land is, like, collectively their favorite movie. Yes, and that's in the musical comedy category. That's yeah. a lock. What's Moonlight up against that could possibly take it? Well, Not the, Hidden Figures, the which the I thought was are, a perfect Yeah, there were no studio movie. movies. Yeah. There's Hell or High Water, uh, Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea. Could be Manchester. Uh, what are the other two? It could be Manchester, but I don't think they liked that as much. I really? feel like they kind of... Fences? Is that nominated? No. Someone's yelling at us, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't think I don't think we're gonna get a shock in Best Picture. Best Well, the year that they awarded Grand Budapest Hotel Best Comedy over Birdman. That was a surprise. Birdman was in like the less competitive category and went on because they Birdman the, won screenplay only from the Globes. Which is yeah. Well that was I'm the year right. of boyhood when everybody was so sure boyhood yeah. was gonna make a clean sweep and not me. You know me, not me either. I was like <laughs> not not that it you know, I wasn't a fan of the movie, but I was like I think people are confusing critics with Oscar voters. Totally. And happens every a year. Big difference. That's why I'm like I'm not calling a front runner in the best actor category yet until we get some guild awards in. No, I mean like yeah, all the critics are going with Casey Affleck, but it's pretty tough to deny Denzel Washington. And oh, like I said yeah, yeah. last week, you know, if people see Vigo Mortensen and Captain Fantastic. I thought you said best picture. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I still think Denzel is winning that, but I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I kind of do too. I'm, but like there's, you know, there's three people, you know, who I think are in, in the running and, and they're all so good. And like, did we say this on the air? I don't remember. I, I, I feel like there's a world where Ryan Gosling just stuns yes, everybody. Yes, I do too. Yeah. yeah. So... So until, like, the guilds speak, basically mm-hmm. until the SAG Awards, you know, mm-hmm. I'm hesitant to, to cry front-runner on anyone. They're the only ones that matter, per yeah, se. It's it, the only yeah. thing where the, the memberships kind of cross-pollinate. Mary Kringlefick is back with, uh, I know you're an advocate for a best ensemble category. Am I? I think she means me, probably. He. Sorry, Mary. Mary M- is M- a he? M-E-R-R-Y. Oh, okay. It's it's a it's a an altered Twitter handle <laughs> for the for the season. Uh, says I know you're an advocate for, but so you're not you're an advocate for that, huh? Advocate it's in hard terms though, of, right? Like I mean, like yeah, yeah. I, like, I don't think that there's any correlation between best ensemble and best picture, and I'll say that till I'm blue in the face. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. Um, but uh, I do love the ensemble category. I love that the SAG Awards, yeah, you know, honor the ensemble. And this is a tough one for me because these are five true great ensembles. Um, I think Moonlight is the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a that perfect would be my pick. cast. Yeah, it'd be my pick too. Um, but Hidden Figures. Are we predicting or are we saying? Because he he wants to know who should win this year. Oh, Moonlight. You think Moonlight? Yeah. yeah, we both think Moonlight is is the best ensemble. Uh, but you know, I do think that. Uh, I think it's going to go to Fences. Really? Well, that would not be a bad choice. I mean, I mean just like, screams look, for it. It's a perfect cast. And so, I mean, I, I think don't know. Fences and Hidden Figures are real threats yeah. to Moonlight. I mean, all three of those casts are pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. And um, Hidden Figures sort of has the advantage of it's be, it's filled with a lot of familiar faces that people love. You've got Kevin Costner and Jim Parsons, Taraji P. Henson, mm-hmm. Octavia Spencer. Who doesn't love Octavia Spencer? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, new faces like Janelle Monet 
who's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and a double nominee yeah. with Moonlight. Yeah. Uh, I keep refreshing to see if someone will send us some more questions. Never happened. That's <laughs> we okay. We, we, got, we got a bunch of them. Um, any, 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 uh, what do you call it? Uh, New Year resolutions? Uh, I don't make New Year's resolutions. Um, you don't believe in it. But, no, more that like, why do I want to set myself up for failure? Um, I know the feeling. But can I just say I'm so happy to say goodbye to this year. So happy. Me too. And it's a weird thing to say because like, I mean, look, I had a kid you this had year a kid, and it was yeah. amazing. But like, Hey, this I won an Emmy. But also <laughs> the year started with my dog dying. Yeah. And I said like, you know, well, the year can't get much worse. And then... You it's know. been a rough one, and it's, it will be very interesting to see, like, just, I mean, look, we've talked about it all year, about La La Land being this movie you can escape with, and how it makes it an easy pick, almost, mm-hmm. after such a downer of a year. Can I tell you, but, I don't I don't think I told this on the air, um, Deb Akilla, who cast La La Land, who's mm-hmm. like, just, she's an amazing casting director, she's probably cast all your favorite movies, I did a Q&A with her and some people from La La Land a couple weeks ago, and sort of asked, like, you know, why it was such a good time for this movie, and mm-hmm. she talked about the song in MAME, mm-hmm. We Need a Little Christmas, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love that song, and she's like, I just feel like it applies to this movie, We Need a Little La La right now. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, well, that, that says it all. Fa-la-la-la-la. <laughs> Fa-la-la-la-la. That, that was such a corny joke. That was like from Swingers when he's like, well, we all have stories. And it just kills the mood. <laughs> anyway, on that note, Would you let's like me get to the kill hell the out of this year. And, and I, can, uh, I, can, I can bring up my dead dog again. No, let's not. But I'm very sorry to hear that. You have a new one, though. Oh, I was fostering one. Fostering yes. One. But uh, she, went, she went to a lovely home. Yeah, and let me tell you, I was getting like I was getting some celebrity help with this dog. Oh, like yeah. Joel Edgerton was offering to because she had a um, when she curls up, she has a heart mm, oh, on yeah, her side. Check picture, out my Instagram; yeah. I'll repost the picture. And she's a sweetheart. And um, you know, I was I was saying like you know she's she's been in the system, quote unquote, for mm-hmm. a few years and has never found a home. And Joel was like, well, you know, he's like, tell me if you want me to tweet it. Like I'll post a picture of her. And Ryan Gosling said the same thing. And I was like, okay, but you know, I want to make sure I get. Some Someone who's serious about the dog and sure, not sure. just like a, a movie fan. But no, she found a, a wonderful, wonderful home. Well, let's just close with that because that's a great story that to end the, this terrible year on. And uh, everyone have a happy new year. We'll be back uh, next month with more 2017. stuff. 2017. Raw. Oh, and by the way, speaking earlier of Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner's Hidden, Fist, on? hidden Figures. Mm. And we, not, we don't just talk about Hidden Figures. We talk about like... As much as I could do in 30 minutes. It was like a sprint through his career. And I know. He's got so many great stories. But one of my favorites that I've done here. So stay tuned for that. putting a human on top of a missile, shooting him into space that's never been done before. I need a mathematician that can look beyond the numbers. Math that doesn't yet exist. You have someone? Running what I'm playing. Catherine's a gal for that. She can handle any numbers you put in front of her. You're a computer at NASA. They let women handle that sort of... Yes, they let women do some things at NASA, Mr. Johnson. And it's not because we wear skirts. Because we wear glasses. You've been gone for 300 hours. Was mama gone for 12 and a half days? No, but it felt like it. 
In 14 days, astronauts will be here for training. Everything we do can matter to their wives, to their children. I believe it's going to matter to the whole country. My gals are ready. There's no protocol for women attending. There's no protocol for a man circling the earth either, sir. We all get there together, we don't get there at all. Let me ask you, if you were a white male, would you wish to be an engineer? I wouldn't have to. I'd already be one. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with the star of Hidden Figures, Kevin Costner. Thanks for doing the show, man. Thanks for being here. It's a huge pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I, I realized when I started preparing that I need way more than a half hour. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, I mean, we live in a world where, the, you know, when you go on the television shows, it's like it's uh, the, the the idea is that they really want to hear what you say, but they really don't. It's all, it's all about you plugging your movie and them getting to the last joke yeah. and moving to the next guest. And it's only things like this where sometimes you can get below the surface and and you're yeah. right 30 minutes does even really do it unless you're drilling down on a few ideas well, that's what i'm gonna try to do i'm gonna start with uh i think one of my probably my earliest cinematic memory actually uh, i'm curious if you remember your time on this is that episode of amazing stories right the mission, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, that was an interesting moment. A couple things happened there. That was right after Fandango, and uh, you know, S uh, Steven was going to um, move into this television idea, and, and uh, turned out he was going to actually direct that episode. And um, I learned a couple things about myself. Interestingly enough, I loved you know working with him, but I really wasn't at my best. Um, it came to them. We shot on a Monday, and I probably heard on a Thursday they wanted me to do it. And as it turns out, I'm not a quick study of lines. It's a really, it's very difficult for me. I have a tendency to get completely off book. Something like JFK or the movie I'm doing with Aaron Sorkin or the last movie I did, I learn it probably a, at least a month before we shoot, and then I'm sitting with it for a month, and then shooting starts, and I become very, very comfortable. I was incredibly uncomfortable, and sure as heck, he did a very long shot, a rolling shot that involved getting all the lines, and I, I struggled with it, and um, it was a really hard moment for him, but, you know, it was really beautiful looking. I'm happy that I did it, but I'm not happy with um, how I felt doing it, because I wasn't really at my best, and and so it, 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 I know that episodic TV, it would be very, very difficult for me. And I learned it on amazing stories. Mm -hmm. Diving into the water there with something like that with Spielberg, too. I mean, were you nervous? Well, I, I, don't, I don't get nervous about that, but I, I felt like, you know, he's depending on me to be able to do anything he wants to do with a camera. I should be delivering with all the rhythms in the world. My, my. And I think there was probably a moment where I might have looked a little stiff to him. I might have looked a little bit not like, ooh, I, you know, I wasn't that malleable in the sense that I, I was really, I was not performing as much as I was just kind of like hoping to get all the lines right. So it's just a pattern for me that I learned. Yeah. So we'll put it this way. As a five-year-old, none of that showed up. Yeah. <laughs> it was a magical uh, episode. And uh, like I say, I think it's probably my earliest memory of just kind of sitting down in front Certain of the TV and watching something. I remember something. a movie marked me as a seven-year-old, you know, How the West Was Won at the Center of the Dome. Oh, totally. That would have been awesome. 
Um, I wanted to, like I said before we started talking, I want to skip a stone if I can across some of the things in your career. And one thing you just mentioned briefly, JFK, I think is one of the greatest films ever made. I mean, certainly one of the most impeccably shot and edited films I've ever seen. And uh, it's celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. Does it feel like 25 years? It doesn't, but there was... I tell you, he was working with a lot of film stock. He was, uh, I think, writing really well. Um, I think he was feeling it, meaning in a really good way. He was very passionate about that movie. It was a big bite that he took out of a a difficult subject. And uh, I thought he kind of... He brought people into that process, whether or not they believed in it. It was powerful filmmaking. Absolutely. And uh, what do you think the legacy is of, of that movie? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know what I don't know what it is. I, I think uh, any generation that chooses to see it, and that's what you have to keep in mind when you're actually making a movie. That you know, you're not making them for opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Although that's the God that everybody's praying to out there. Yeah. The reality is that there's going to be Mm -hmm. five-year-olds. It's certainly not for JFK, but for amazing stories. There are going to be people that it has a chance to mark. Mm -hmm. And a movie like JFK has a chance for generations to visit it Mm -hmm. when they come of an age where that interests them. Mm -hmm. And the questions posed uh, are really, really important. And, um, you know, there there was a shift in the country about... You know, we used to think, my parents thought certainly that people in power told you the truth. And it's really not, it's really not always the case. And, and we've seen that for the next 60 years. Yeah, absolutely. For the last 60 years. I think uh, something that stands out to me, like I, I mentioned the, the editing and, and the, the photography, just the manipulation of craft and filmmaking. I feel like that movie is a sterling example of it, like what you can make of you or feel by how... You juxtapose imagery by how you shoot something. Yeah, I mean, every time I talk to Bob Richardson, I I, I ask him something else about that movie. You know? Right. Well, Bob was you know Bob he has really vested himself in imagery and storytelling, and you know, alongside a lot of different directors, and it, it's a big imprint. Yeah, and the cast too. I mean, you you were an anchor for a massive sprawling cast. There was a lot of great film, TV, even some theater actors in there. What was that camaraderie like with you guys? Well, it was good. Everybody that came was really ready to work. Uh, you know, um, Oliver is a, you know, he's really on point. You know, this is like, you know, uh, he's, he was, it was a, it was a lot. It was a lot for me and it was going to be a lot for them. And there was no, there was no waiting. We needed to go and we needed to be sharp all the way through. And I knew that for myself that uh, that, that that every day was going to be a load, a workload. It wasn't there was nothing casual about that movie. Yeah, I could talk about that movie with you forever. But for both our sakes, I'll move on. <laughs> but that was right. The podcast the- people are going, yeah, thank God. <laughs> get off that thing. Well, well, it's only three letters. Grow up. <laughs> JFK. Come on. You were in that was in the middle of a great stride for you, too. I mean, it, it, you had come off of uh, Field of Dreams and uh, obviously Dances with Wolves, which is what I'm about to talk about. Uh, That film, which when I watch it, by the way, I watch the four-hour version. Just sit there and marinate in that world. But uh, what did it mean for you at that time in your career to get 
that kind of a pat on the back from the industry. I mean, you were really the toast of the industry with that film, seven Oscars and all of that. What did that mean to you to get that kind of recognition at that point in your career? You mean off of dances? Yes. Yeah. Well, that was that was a great night. You know, people have a tendency to look at that moment and not put my life in reverse. My life in reverse was that... Um, that I, I I felt like I wanted to try to make this movie and and I couldn't get anybody to give me any money, mm-hmm. you know, um, and uh, and uh, actually postponed the movie one year because I didn't have the ending that I wanted. I couldn't solve the ending with me saying goodbye to all the the, the major characters. I wanted each moment to be really pure, so I I postponed it for a year. And uh, you know, what was that like for the industry? I. It, it, it's not so much what it was like for the industry. It's a, it was a healthy reminder to me that when I do what I want to do, that everything else takes care of itself. You know, I wanted to make that movie by hook or by crook. I mortgaged, you know, my house, so to speak. I put my salary up. I, you know, we raised our money foreign. We made that movie for $16 million. And it was everything. And, and there was really even an undertone out there that was kind of ugly, which was Kevin's Gate. What's he doing out there? Was it like Kevin's Gate? Like, this movie is a disaster. I didn't know where that had come from. I know this. I had to turn down um, Hunt for Red October because I had promised I was going to do dances. And, you know, some people thought that me saying no to Red, Hunt for Red October was that I needed more money. It wasn't more money. It was like I had already postponed dances for a year a year earlier, and I wasn't going to do it now. I had all my things in place. In fact, if anything, it caused me a lot of pain because there was more money offered on Hunt for Red October than I'd ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I so I was like doing the dumb thing. I was putting up all my money and leaving behind the biggest check I'd ever seen. Yeah, only to have it all end up working. You know, its way into you know into a, a you know a pretty good movie. You know, but it was I did it with my friends out of acting class where we none of us had any money. My friend who never had a screenplay produced wrote it. My friend who, you know, who is, you know, big producing. I could have had probably anybody in town produce it. Had a person that had no credits really to speak of to produce it, and we all won Oscars. And uh, we were working in a chemical plant down by the L.A. River in a class for actors and no one paid a dime because none of us had a dime yeah and so to have that work somebody wants to talk about that night what was that like but you know for me it was like i got my money back i got my house back you know um and the music played seven times because you know when you win the awards your music plays john barry yeah so it was a nice it was a nice moment that way um, but I had made up my mind what I wanted to do. And like I said, anybody out there listening, it's like if you get on, I mean, it's a little bit like that with Hidden Figures. It's like it's like that for me with uh, Black or White. These are movies I just wanted to do. And when I'm doing that, I'm usually in the best space that I need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another movie I could probably just keep going on and on about. I think it's amazing. Um, you went into Perfect World not long after that, working with Clint. Yeah. One of my favorite of his movies. Uh, what have you retained from working with Clint? I'm always curious with, when actors work with Clint. Uh, he, I like how I'm saying his, his, like I'm on a first name basis with Clint Eastwood, but you know, he's one of those guys, I guess. But uh, one or two takes and then move on. He's really confident in his actors. I'm always curious what actors take from that experience of working with him. Yeah, he um, he, he gives himself one take or two takes because I think he's real sure about how he acts. Um, 
I asked him for some more takes. Um, uh, I did because I was working with a kid. And a lot of times the kid wasn't doing what I needed him to do, and I wasn't sure I was able to give him the moment that I needed to isolate. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was a really, um, uh, really Johnny Lee Hancock wrote that movie. It was really great, and I wanted to really wanted to be in it. But I was amazed at how Clint seemed to get his day pretty effortlessly. <laughs> you know, um, I always feel like when I'm out there directing, I'm struggling to get my day. Yeah. And I felt that he managed to get his day pretty effortlessly. Um, you know, and th- th- that was one of the big takeaways. But he, 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 he allowed me a little bit of room because I said, look, it's I'm working with this kid and I'm not working across another actor. And there's some beats that, that I hope editorially you have. And I can tell you right now the kid was way over here when he should be here and so we're going to get stuck with one version and there's no you're going to have no editorial choices and so we got through the movie that way and I think he really understood and I I watched I watched him the the kind of economy that he worked with Mm -hmm. Uh, when I was growing up Tin Cup was one of these movies it was on HBO every day did you go to school man at all no nah, man I just watch movies okay got I just it watch movies. I got it <laughs> I went to film school actually yeah uh, it was on all the time and I feel like I know it by heart now yeah um, I, I almost kind of want to say can we get a sequel to that movie like you could have like your version of Creed yeah <laughs> where you're like the old weathered golfer <laughs> well, there's, a, there's a there's a theme there with Bodyguard 2 and with dances the early years the after years <laughs> you know the body the, the Bull Durham 1 and 2 and now he's a manager in the big <laughs> leagues and and of course you know um, uh, Tin Cup and, and, and right on you know along with a lot of those movies everybody was looking for the 2 mm-hmm. you know the 2 and the 3 you know or yeah. there's always the 2 is always not so good and they apologize for 2 and they give you the 3 third one because they hope basically you're back in the truck up with the shovel and saying how big how much you want (laughs) you know so i haven't played it that smart and done all those twos (laughs) well i'm I'm just pitching you i I think there's a there's a 10 cup two to be i yeah i think so well ron would be the guy to get it right yeah uh ron shelton for everyone wondering about that the postman um I have a funny story about the postman. Now you make me feel like I really didn't go to school, but uh, I was—I went to see that film. I went to like the last showing, and uh, I didn't know the movie was three hours long. And so my dad was out front to pick me up, and I, like, looking at my watch, I go outside. It wasn't three hours long. It was, I think it was about two and a half, but it was. Uh I don't even know if it was two and a half, but it was, you know, when they put the... Longer all, than I expected, All anyway. the trailers are going front. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had to go outside and, like, Dad, uh, it's not over yet. I'll, I'll be out in a bit. But uh, I'm always curious, like, that movie came a couple of years after Waterworld, and those are two massive undertakings, both of them. So what gave you the energy to take on The Postman after doing something like Waterworld? Well, you know, I, I wish that Dances was a small movie. I wish Postman was a small movie. They just weren't. I mean, I would have been happy to do a Haunted House movie for my first movie, but it's yeah. just what I fall in love with, I make. And I actually was really charmed by the story of The Postman. I think I probably should have put something in front of it, you know, saying like Once Upon a Time. So everybody understood that this was a fa- almost a fairy tale yeah. of the future. Once Upon a Time, there was a Postman. Yeah. And I was really charmed by uh, a story of a, a person who is just trying to survive and and through a couple of odd moves suddenly is anointed with some kind of, of um, 
maybe stature that uh, he obviously knows he doesn't deserve. But the truth is, he's he's getting fed, even getting laid. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are coming out of this, and so. It, from a humanistic standpoint, from a human behavior, it's like, well, who wouldn't want to try to keep that going? But unfortunately, the lie gets bigger and bigger, and you and you're kind of waiting for that moment to say, "Hey, man, I'm not a postman. I am a guy that was just trying to stay out of the way." Yeah. Um, so I'm very fond of that movie, but that was a that's a big movie. Yeah. Well, like I said, how did you have the energy? I mean, were, did it exhaust you going through that film? I, I think I was, but I I don't know. I like work, and once I'm yeah. working, you know, it's like there are 15 hour days, you know, six days a week. I mean, you know, those locations were big, mm-hmm. and um, we we really went at it. Yeah. One more before I get to the uh, the, re- the the movie you're here to talk about, uh, and that's Open Range. Uh, I think that that is one of the most underrated westerns ever. I'm a huge fan of the genre. I don't want to get greedy, but I kind of want you to give us another western at yeah. some point, if you if you could. Yeah. No, I have one. I've been working on it. Oh, let's it's see. About it, ten man. hours long. How's that? I, do it, please. Yeah, I'm going to do it. It's it's really you do that for good, like Netflix I loved, or something. I loved Open Range. I, I I people talk about the final gun shoot as being. I've heard people say that they felt that that was the best gun shoot. It felt real. Shoot out the sound that. design and all of that. And there's a line there too. I I love this line. Um, it's when you and Duvall are about to throw down there, and you've got your chocolate in your pocket, and you forgot about it. Guess he's I waited like, too long. He's like, oh, I guess I waited too long. But you say, uh, good is good, melted or not. Yeah, good is good, melted or not. That's, that line kills me because it's like, I love the genre so much because there's something about complexity and simplicity in the Western genre. Yeah, and it comes in the language. You know, everybody's looking for the shootout for Westerns. But yeah. the strength of them is when, what gets said yeah. leading up to things. You know, because there is an oddity about how people talk, yet it's our Shakespeare, the American West. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I do watch a lot of Westerns, and I, you know, I, I don't do them unless I think they can really, really stand up. Um, and, and Open Range, I'm extremely proud of that movie. That was a Craig Storper line, and he did a great job with that. Yeah. Well, let's get that 10-hour one, man. You can do that for, like, TV or What's something. What's that? Let's get that 10-hour Western going. Yeah, maybe I'll make three features out of it. There's a fourth one, too, so it's a, truly a saga. Could you do TV like a? I could do TV. I could also make it like every six months have a big western that's tied together like Jean de Florette and Man in the Springs, you know, where there's a continuum. Mm-hmm. I think those are fun to watch, yeah. you know, and later go revisit, and especially for a guy who doesn't go to school, who wants to see every bit. It's a, I'm, I'm actually actually talking to the right guy. <laughs> All right. Let's get to what you're here to talk about. That was a good sprint, 18 minutes through all those movies. I think I did pretty well. Hidden Figures. Uh, You're playing a, uh, I believe it's a fictional character. But that said, were you able to talk to anyone uh, to kind of help carve this out and maybe... Well, once once it was going to become fictional, it's like, you know... Who do you talk to? You know, the we, we didn't have the rights to that character, and there was th- about three of them that Ted Melfi was drawing off of. Mm-hmm. And so um, I didn't really sit with, sit with any of them because it was going to be a, a combination of, 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 of everything, of, of what we were, you know, trying to do. It wasn't really my movie. I was there to support it, you know, um, the idea. And... Um, and so we figured out we figured out the best way to try to do that, 
and we understood the personalities of the three men, but we couldn't turn them into one guy. And so, you know, what we did was try to understand that all this work, all this movie, this personal story is set against a couple of big backdrops. One's the civil rights that was being, you know, tested at every... It has been tested since the beginning of this country, uh, the formation of it, but it was certainly going through an evolutionary period, revolutionary, evolutionary, whatever you want to call it, right at that moment, a little bit of the... We were dealing with the apex of it, you know, in a way. Um, and and it, and then you've got women's rights mm-hmm. uh, and women in the workplace and... Uh, you know, and this 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 terrible racism that bleeds over into a, a corporate structure. Mm-hmm. You know, and with with a lot on the line. Yeah, there was. You know, we were behind, and were we going to let these issues keep us? You know, from getting to where we needed to to be. Yeah. You know, it's like a sports team. You know, it's like, oh, you're going to keep your best player on the bench, really? Yeah. It's uh, opening into an interesting climate, obviously, too. I, I know a lot of people who saw the movie like right after the election, and they were all the more emotional because of that. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of which, I guess it would be interesting if Swing Vote had come out this year. Thank you. <laughs> I that's a really, I think a really underrated little comedy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the ensemble. You know, I asked you about the ensemble for JFK. You guys actually just won a prize yesterday from the National Board of Review for Hidden Figures uh, for the ensemble. What was that camaraderie like with this particular en- ensemble? Well, you know, for me, I I love the whole. You know, the, my part has to be good, or I won't involve myself. Um, and my part, actually, when I was approached on the film wasn't I don't think very good um, I thought though the movie and what the girls were doing that was all really really beautiful but you know the part that I had was a little bit it was confused it was a little bit you know I wasn't looking for more I was looking for um, it to be substantial for it to prop up the moment uh, their moments and uh Advance the idea of the movie as opposed to just somebody who's kind of there, who's clapping, going, you know, come on, let's get it together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for me, um, that had to happen. Um, I could, I, I told him, look, this still will be a really, really good movie, but I think, I think anybody can play this, and and I think that that you know that's the way I look at it, and so I'm not. It's not speaking to me. The movie's speaking to me, but not the part. And that's when he said, "Well, look, I've had a hard time putting that part together. I've concentrated so much on the girls, uh, who's their real story." And he said, "This other character, because I could never get the rights, has stalled me." And so there's like placeholders here. I said, "Well, it reads a little bit like that." Mm. And he said, well, you know, can we work on it together? And I said, we can, but can you? Because once you start a movie, it's very difficult to go home and write at night. Yeah, You're directing a movie for 14 hours a day or whatever it is. If, you know, um, you, uh, it's like, can you gonna, are you going to want to answer the phone in Atlanta with a three-hour time difference and, um, and us talk about this part? When it's a supporting part, and that's what it is. And so, you know, a lot of times you, you say you can do that, but when it comes down to it, will you really do that? Yeah. And 
Ted said, I will. It's worth it to me. And I, I thought to myself, well, he answered, he answered that part right. Mm-hmm. But the proof is in how do you finish? Do you really do what you say you're going to do? And Ted did. Because yeah. let's face it, in this world sometimes people can say anything to get you involved. Right. Once you're involved, it's like, well, I just ran out of time. I'm sorry. That's not a great outcome. Right. That's just a great salesman. Yeah. And Ted was true. And I have no doubt he was tired. But I think at the end of the day, it was really worth it for the movie, for Al Harrison to be where he was. So, you know, we didn't have to do the classic um, cutaway shot that shows the, the, the sign for NASA <laughs> to know we're at NASA. Yeah. We could go to my face. Yeah. And we knew that I stood for the space program. Mm-hmm. And that was probably, you know, you know what I mean? You see yeah. television, they show you the apartment in New York, and then you go inside. Right. They show you the thing, and it's the CIA headquarters, yeah. and you're in the CIA. And they keep doing that to let you know where you're at. But if you if you develop enough presence, enough, um, enough of a vocabulary about who you are, that sometimes, you know, you can just come to a person, they don't have to say anything. You know where you're at, and you know what's going on, because the movie certainly had a home life and then had this technical world. Mm -hmm. Are you a big fan of NASA movies like, you know, Apollo 13? Yeah, I thought that was was a really interesting movie for me, because um, I had a chance to be in that movie, but I was going to do Waterworld. And again, kind of like a Dances with Wolves, it was like I was committed, you know, so the idea. But what I thought Ron did... Uh, and and the writer, because there's a lot of this is the writing, you know, was that it was one of the times when I appreciated an ending that you already knew how it ended. It still felt very exciting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The Right Stuff is a movie I watch every Thanksgiving for some reason. Yeah, it's become my music. like... Yeah, absolutely. Who did the music? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I, I'm Someone's sorry. probably screaming at us right now saying, it's this no, person. Somebody's looking at you going, you didn't do his homework. <laughs> I didn't do my homework. I, I, but yeah, huge fan of that movie. Uh, I'm trying to think of some more. I mean, it's just there's Especially a certain the just it gives you a lot of pride. Yeah, absolutely. Know? There's a, and there's an aesthetic to those movies too. That I guess it's Americana or something like that. I remember reading the book. You know, yeah. it's Tom Wolfe. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The with the whole passage in that book where he describes Chuck Yeager's uh, that that last flight we see Chuck Yeager take in, in the movie yeah. where he crashes. That whole passage in that book is phenomenal. If yeah. anyone's not read the book, you could read just that passage and just that guy was, is the man. Uh, and you talked earlier about, you know, getting off book. I mean, talk about getting off book with an Aaron Sorkin script. I mean, you're working with him now on Molly's Game. Uh, how do you like working with Aaron? And, I did. And, it's, it's about time he directs. And, um, you know, again, I had to, I had to go... Uh, I need to go to and and, and as, in that instance, that part was really perfect. And I've I've been I've really enjoyed uh, the the in my career. I've had ten or twelve movies where we didn't really change a line, mm-hmm. and that might be ten more than most people. <laughs> the way the way movies are you know manipulated and get halfway there, yeah, and totally. go get the elements, and now we got a movie, and the director will fix it, or the actors will fix it, or somebody will fix it. Mm-hmm. But we'll you know it's seventy percent there. You know, starting with Lawrence Kasdan and and then Ron Shelton and Field of Dreams. And, you know, No Way Out was a script we didn't manipulate any lines Mm -hmm. except the title. Um, 
and probably uh, not untouchables either. I mean, that's a no, David Mamet script. On that, so. particular, on that particular one, Mamet really hit it perfect. Yeah, you know, uh, and he really did. So you, Fandango, there was no change in line. Silverado, um, and you go right down the line in certain instances. So. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what the hell your question was. I'm so trying I can to circle think of what my question was. Just, really just in general, way. working with Aaron Sorkin. I mean, working, okay, let's get, chewing on that, that dialogue. So Aaron, you know? Aaron had wrote a pretty perfect script in my mind. Yeah. The character that I read was uh, um, very unlike, for instance, the character I read in Hidden Figures, where we did work on it. Mm-hmm. And Ted did deliver a great a nice supporting part, a, a, a really kind of Spencer Tracy, just stand there and do your lines and support this idea. And Aaron's was really beautiful, very intense. And as an actor, I went to work on it, you know, and, uh, you know, I did the lines this morning in the mirror and I won't go back till January mm-hmm. and I'll just keep working them. That has to be fun dialogue to chew on whenever you're working yeah, on the Sorkin he's movie. Very, he's very special. Yeah. Well, the movie is uh, Hidden Figures. It's in theaters uh, now when this podcast airs. So please go see it. And uh, thank you again for coming on the show, man. I hope I did all of that stuff justice. It was a sprint, but well, I, uh, know, I tried. I listen, some movies are things that uh, that are obviously important to you. And so, you know, sometimes this comes off as a job and other times comes off as a moment you know where you go look we could really have a chance to shoot the shit here <laughs> about something that matters to you and obviously the people that are following you that have a, a kind of a a similar appetite passion for the details that don't get talked about on tv they just can't they're they're looking for the cute story about your kids or <laughs> right. how you fell down on the set or what in the world it is and you know here you know we ate up that time like it was nothing <laughs> well thanks man i really appreciate that thanks for listening everyone remember to subscribe and check back next week when i'll be talking to 13th director ava duvernay You've been listening to Playback at Variety.